welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of April 28, 2019. Clark Rackful of the ACB National Office writes, the ACB National Office has learned that some CPR instructors are not willing to certify people who are blind. Please let us know if you have been denied CPR certification due to your vision or what, if any, reasonable accommodations you received during CPR training to receive your certification. Thank you. And you can contact the ACB National Office and Clark, who is the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs with ACB, by calling 202 Four six seven five zero eight one, or emailing Clark at c rackfall r a c h f a l at acb dot org. On April first, the Kentucky Talking Book Library celebrated its fiftieth anniversary. We bring you some of the presentations during these ceremonies, which were enjoyed that day by over a hundred people. Barbara Pentagor, the KTBL librarian is heard first introducing the day's festivities and outlining the history of the NLS program. Terry Manuel is the state librarian, followed by Michael Martis from the National Library Service in Washington, D.C., Lieutenant Governor Janine Hampton, Secretary of the Workforce Development Cabinet, Derek Ramsey, author and talking book narrator, Virginia Smith, and thank yous, including the presentation of a plaque, by Kathy Jackson, President of the National Federation of the Blind of Kentucky, Adam Rushevel presenting handcrafted pins made by Alan Shrebchenko to the speakers for the day, Barbara Pinagor thanking KCB for the food for the presentation, Barbara presenting certificates of recognition from NLS to the KTBL volunteers, and $20 Amazon gift cards donated by the Kentucky Council of the Blind, and the presentation of the Governor's Proclamation naming the week of April 1-6 to as Kentucky Talking Book Library Week. Also to celebrate the occasion, but not heard on page 2 due to time constraints, is the presentation of $1,800 from KCB and the Tri-State Library users to underwrite the expenses of three issues of the KTBL newsletter for 2019. And on page 4 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Talking Book Library's 50th anniversary. I'm Barbara Penagore and I am the manager of the Talking Book Library. First, I want to give you, you may have already found this out now because the food's already almost gone, but we do have food. Restrooms are to my right, also water fountains. We've got plenty of drinks. Um, so, around for those. In the back, directly across from me, we have a display of talking book materials from the past years. We also have a video display on the TV screen back there. I apologize that it's not all audio, only certain parts of our audio. But the important parts, we had some patron quotes that we recorded and put on there, and that's the most important part. Because as much as I tell you talking books are a good program, nobody says it better than the people who use it themselves. So please, after the program, go back there and take a look at that. Um, Also, those of you who might be interested in touring the Talking Book Library after the program, we'll take small groups of you up there, so that will be an option as well. I'm going to start off, since it is our 50th anniversary, with a brief history of the Talking Book program. 
1931, the Pratt-Smoot Act became law to establish the Library of Congress Books for the Blind. And at that time, they were just Braille books. In 1933 and 34, the talking books were introduced. They played on 33 and a third RPM records which the standard at the time was a 78 RPM. So what, well, some of us older folks may have thought of as standard albums on 33 and 3rd. That started with the Talking Book Program. In 1952, children were included in the program. In 1966, people with physical disabilities were included. 1968, flexible discs are introduced. And if you're not familiar with a flexible disc, um, they're like a record, but they're very thin plastic. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, the cereal boxes sometimes had them on the back. I may be dating myself. And in 1969, the Kentucky Talking Book Library opened up on April 1st. It wasn't a joke. They had a staff of six people. They had 4,000 books on record and they had 1,700 patrons. Can everybody hear me okay? Am I talking loud enough? Okay. In 1971, the cassette players were introduced. And if you look back at our display, you'll see different colored cassette players. Those were all the different reiterations until they settled on that lovely kind of goldy yellow color. In 1977, Two recording booths were installed in the Talking Book Library and the recording program began. They had to move those from another location into this building. In 1982, speaking of that, the Talking Book Library moved into this building. This building was um, inductive, what's the word I want? Um, it opened in 1982 and I'm glad I didn't work here when they had to move the library over here. In 1984, the Talking Book Library adopted a computer automation system called Reads, which helped manage the patrons, the collections, and circulation. And I, for one, cannot imagine how they circulated the books without a computer system. You know, that boggles my mind. I'm not even going to begin to try and explain that. In 1996, the Chafee Amendment to copyright law allowed talking books to be recorded without prior consent. Of course, it had some restrictions, but we didn't have to try and get permission from the author or the copyright holder before recording books. In 1999, Web Braille allowed patrons to access Braille from the internet. And in 2008, 2009, the BAR download program started. Is Tanya Gatton here? No. Uh, Tanya downloaded the one millionth book from BAR. And that was in 2010. So Bard was officially introduced in 2009. And within like a year or so, she downloaded the one millionth book. So that was another, that was her claim to fame, among other things. She's very accomplished. <laughs> in 2009, the Talking Book Library started distributing the digital machines and talking books to its patrons. And a lot of you all were around then. You remember that. In 2013, Bard Mobile was released for iOS operating systems for smartphones and tablets, and two years later, the Android, um, com the compatible Bard Mobile was re released. Sorry, this is why I'm not a talking book narrator. 
In 2014, the Talking Book Library became the first library to adopt the WebReads automation system. We tested that um, for probably six months or so, and we had to log all the flaws and bugs and what worked right, and then we were the first library to go live with that. And that was a big deal at the time. Now it seems like that was so long ago. In 2017, we became one of the first six libraries to transition to a duplication on demand circulation system. And that means we don't have to have a physical collection with books on the shelves to send out to you. We just take a blank cartridge, stick it in a computer port, say, Bill Wright needs six books today. It will download those six books on that cartridge in just minutes and we pop it in a container, send it on its way. When it comes back, we scan it to erase it and reuse it for the next person. So there's no more having to put books back on the shelves, go pull books off the shelves. It just makes things much more convenient, specifically because all books are available all the time. You don't have to worry about waiting lists or anything. If 218 people want to read the same book, that's fine. So that's just a very brief history, and it mostly covers the technology and the processes used over the years, but our core mission is always is to serve our patrons so that all may read. And we want to see who's here. So if you're a talking book patron, clap your hands. Very good. If you're a friend or family member of a talking book patron, clap your hands. If you're here representing an organization, um, like from APH, I know we have, some of you patrons may be excited, we have Jack Fox here. And he's one of the narrators for the National Library Service program. So Jack, do you want to stand up? Where did you go? There he is, back in the back. He is like a rock star in the talking book world. <laughs> is there anyone here from the Division of Blind Services? Oh, there you all. Hey, Jenny and Gay. They are very good about referring a lot of our patrons to us, amongst other things they do. Is there anyone here from Radio I? Oh, there's Amy right there in the front. Oh, <laughs> welcome. We serve kind of the same clientele, so we refer a lot of folks to them, and they refer some to us. Is there anyone here from the Veterans Administration? No? Well, the, the VIS coordinators are very good about referring patrons to us as well. Um, anyone else who's here from an organization? Well, I was thinking more like... Yeah, okay, yeah. You can, we'll say Adam is representing the Kentucky School for the Blind. Yeah, it's spring break, so we didn't have um, good turnout from School for the Blind because they wanted to go on vacation. <laughs> Where is she? Oh, there she is back there. Well, thank you all for coming. Um, how about both current and past Talking Book Library volunteers? Could you clap? These are the folks that come in, and some of them are narrators whose voices you hear on the Talking Books. Some of them are monitors who are actually outside the booth operating the recording system and following along to make sure they read what's in the book. And then some of them are proofreaders who will listen to that raw recording and make notations of any mistakes that need to be re-recorded. Um, what about past, sorry, I keep plosives, I know what that is now. 
Um, do we have any past talking book employees here? <laughs> Wendy, I didn't see you there. Hey. So we've got a few, but I would like all of our current talking book employees to please stand so you can see them. Um, there's Tracy and Susan and Janet, our librarians over there. And uh, Brian, our studio manager, is over here to my left. And I don't see anybody. Oh, Devin, there's Devin over there. She's our wandering photographer, so if she points the camera, just smile and look pretty. And we have some other folks, but um, I don't know where they are. And then I also have some other staff over here serving the food. These are folks that work in the State Library. And while they don't work in the talking book, directly in the talking book library. They do um, a lot of work involving large print and audiobooks that are sent to public libraries around the state. So you may have used some of their services. I'm going to introduce some special guests. And first I'm going to start with Terry Manuel, who is the Commissioner of the Kentucky Department for Libraries and Archives and our state librarian. And one of the few people that's worked here longer than I have. <laughs> so Terry. Just want to share a couple of things with you. 50 years ago, if my math is correct, it was 1969. In 1969, had some interesting things going on. Gas was 35 cents a gallon. That would still be good. Uh, the top TV shows in 1969, Gomer Pyle, Bonanza, and Mayberry RFD. All three are great shows. I still like to watch them. I can find them on television. There were also some firsts that year. Uh, which you may or may not remember. That was the year we had the first man on the moon. That was the first year that a little store opened up you may have heard of called Walmart. And that was also a year that something called ARPANET started. Now you probably never heard of ARPANET, but it later became perhaps bigger than Walmart. It's called the Internet. And also that year was when the Kentucky Talking Book Library started. And the Kentucky Talking Book Library is committed to providing services to the citizens of Kentucky who can't use regular materials because of physical or visual impairment. And they have done an absolutely great job in the last 50 years. And they will, I'm sure, continue doing a tremendous job. They're incredibly dedicated to what they do and to their clientele. They don't work alone. I do want to mention some people who support them. They're probably going to miss a bunch of people, but it's a very short list. The National Library Service supports the uh, Kentucky Book Library. The Cabinet, which is what we call it around here, it's the Education and Workforce Development Cabinet, which is what we belong to, provides support for the Talking Book Library. The Legislature and the Office of the Governor. All these provide considerable support to the Talking on the Book Library and deserve our thanks for what they do for us and for you. But lastly, I want to say that the people who really make the Talking Book Library happen is the staff of the Talking Book Library. And so I want to thank Barbara and all the staff of the Talking Book Library, but I especially want to thank all the volunteers who have worked there in the past and worked there in the present. They are what makes the Talking Book Library roll and supplies you all with service. So keep up the great work, and thank you all. As Barbara said, my name is Michael Martys, and I'm from the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. 
I'm here to join you in recognizing and celebrating the Kentucky Talking Book Library's 50th anniversary. Director Karen Kenniger, Chief of the Network, Richard Smith, Steve Prine, Vicki Collins, and the rest of us at NLS send congratulations for reaching this milestone. As Barbara said, I am presently the NLS Senior Advisor for Planning and Innovation. Prior to that, I was the NLS Automation Officer, which is kind of a government title for the IT guy. And I was responsible for supporting all the information technology needs at NLS. When I was asked to represent NLS at your anniversary event, I was very delighted. And that's because I'm very fond of the Kentucky Talking Book Library. I started work at NLS in 2006 after working the, for the previous 15 years in higher education. And I, still, I am still considered a youngster by most of my colleagues at NLS, even though I've been there for a number of years. When I first started in NLS, I, like many others, began to learn about the network of cooperating libraries that support NLS patrons. I soon learned that the Kentucky Talking Book Library, led by Barbara Pentagore, was one of the most respected libraries in our network. They had a real patron focus. They were always seeking to improve the patron experience and were willing to try new ideas to achieve that. In short, the Kentucky Library was known around NLS as a very well-run library. But being involved with information technology, I was soon able to see other areas of excellence. The Kentucky Library was a library we counted on to help us with the development and implementation of new technologies. As you heard earlier, they were the first network library to pilot reads and probably the first successful implementation. They were the first network library to pilot test web reads, first network library to pilot test duplication on demand, and one of the first with a library Facebook page and Twitter account. I discovered that the Kentucky Library under Barbara's leadership was a great partner of NLS. They were a library that embraced change, that improved patron services, and we found them a willing early adopter, tester, and a great sounding board. They provided the best feedback. It was practical, patron-focused, and well thought out, the kind of feedback you only get from a partner that has many years of experience. In short, they are our go-to library for many technical things that we needed to test and get feedback on. The reason I say this is that in the 88 years of NLS's program's existence, there has been four generations of technology. The we are now in engaging in the development of the next generation of technology. The first generation was paper braille. That's what NLS started with in 1931. The next three were focused on audio. We started with records, cassettes, and digital cartridges. We are now starting the development of the next generation of technology the fourth audio and the fifth overall, which will focus on internet delivery of our audio materials and the use of digital braille e-readers. After several years of studying and planning, NLS is beginning the process of developing the infrastructure and associated player technology to achieve this vision. We are beginning the process of developing, acquiring, and deploying braille e-readers for all of our patrons and to develop the internet services that will be needed to deliver the vast majority of our materials directly from the internet. We will be using commercial cloud hosting environments such as Google and Amazon to host these services, and we will be delivering a cellular data network. So as Barbara mentioned earlier, where we were talking about sending people cartridges, the future vision is that you will have instant access to every book at any time. This will take several years to complete. We are now experimenting with the use of voice control of both playing our books and finding materials. We actually have a prototype player that you can use your voice to control the playback of a book. And we are confident, and we, the collective we, NLS, along with our libraries, will develop a voice-controlled system that will work well for our patrons, and we see that as our ultimate long-term interface of our player. We are beginning to investigate the use of smartphone devices as the core technical element of our new player, and we are expecting to build an infrastructure that will support an increase in patrons as we expand our eligibility requirements to include other organic forms of print disability, since it's dyslexia. We're expecting right now 
to build an infrastructure that will be roughly 15 times the size of BART and will be infinitely scalable for however large the patron base grows. It is important to reiterate the important role of network libraries, regional libraries in particular, in this new environment. While the logistics of collection, management, and shipping and receiving will diminish over time, other activities such as patron outreach will become much more important. And we will need partners to work with us as we develop and deploy these new technologies. We hope, I hope, that we will be able to work with Kentucky, much as we have in the past, to work on these new ideas, and that you will continue the tradition of being one of the best partners NLS has ever had. I feel with your help and support, we will develop a great next generation system, and I can talk forever uh, on when it comes to technology and the new things we're building. It's very exciting. So I'm going to finish with two thoughts. One of my colleagues, Steve Prine, is the de facto historian for NLS, and I asked Steve if he had a short remembrance that I can use for the anniversary. And for those of you that know Steve Prine, of course he did. <laughs> and so here it is. When the Kentucky Regional Library was established, Ed Lewis from NLS went to Frankfurt to assist with the setup of the library. He worked with Francis Coleman, who led the library at that time. Through a work program, inmates from a local correctional facility were used to assemble the shelving and shelve the books. One afternoon, Ed and Francis were walking down the hallway observing two inmates constructing shelving. One inmate asked Ed the time of the day. Before Ed could reply, the other inmate said to him, what do you care? You're serving life. <laughs> That's a Steve Prine story. And so finally, to summarize my comment, finalize my comments, I'd like to present this plaque from NLS to the Library of Kentucky Talking Book and to Barbara Penagor in recognition of your 50th anniversary. Lieutenant Governor Janine Hampton was elected into office in November 2015. Active in areas of education, entrepreneurship, and emergency preparedness, she has visited students and teachers in over 180 schools across Kentucky. Her Lieutenant Governor's Entrepreneurship Challenge for high school students, a Shark Tank-style competition, has already awarded $180,000 of in-state scholarship funds to winning teams. She also created the STEM Challenge for Middle School Girls and the Bluegrass Book Buddies Challenge for readers of all ages. Seeing a great need for collaboration, she created the Kentucky Aerospace Industry Consortium to foster networking and support in the aerospace and aviation industries, which are Kentucky's largest export. How many of you all knew that? An Air Force veteran, she is a member of the Kentucky Veterans Hall of Fame and is actively working on projects that address the needs of both veterans and active military in Kentucky, as well as the safety of all Kentuckians across the Commonwealth. It is my honor to introduce to you Lieutenant Governor Janine Hampton. Thank you and good afternoon. It is such an honor to be invited to this 50th anniversary of, the, of Kentucky Talking Books. Um, you know, there's an old Twilight Zone episode that some of you with gray hair might remember, and it's the episode where a, a gentleman survives a nuclear blast, and he appears to be the last surviving person on Earth, and he, he first he was sad, but then he was happy when he realizes he would get to spend eternity with his beloved books until he breaks his glasses and he's his eyesight was such that he needed his glasses i remember seeing that episode i must have been seven or eight years old and i when he broke his glasses i went 
because I understood I cannot imagine a world without books. I cannot. Uh, reading was so, so fundamental to my sisters and I growing up poor in Detroit. Uh, we simply could not believe. My mom always said, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. So we couldn't believe the library was free. We didn't believe her at first. Uh, you know, and so it's like, let me get this straight. We can read. We can check out as many books as we want as long as we get them back before the due date or by the due date. Whoa, this is really too good. This is too good to be true. Uh, reading expanded my universe. It really did. Expanded my imagination, took me to other places outside of Detroit. Uh, you know, just uh, introduced us to how other people think and live and work and solve problems. Uh, it di and it didn't matter, almost didn't matter what you were reading. It really didn't. So, uh, I, so I am just thrilled that Kentucky Talking Books is, is such a key, plays such a key role in allowing the visually impaired to have that same experience. Um, you know, I think back to that, that the guy in the Twilight Zone episode. That was my worst nightmare that the day would come when I could not open a book and read. And of course, you know, one of the first places I visited uh, when I became lieutenant governor was here to see the place where books are recorded. And it is so interesting to see the technology and how the technology has evolved over time. And I'm really thrilled to hear that the next step is already underway to uh, transform or translate the books on, into a, a digital format. Uh, no one could ever have en envisioned when the program began 50 years ago that it would go from, what was it on, uh, was it on reel to reel back then? Or, or tapes? Reel to reel to cassettes to, and that's, this is so interesting because I just got rid of my uh, you know, I had a cassette player. I just got rid of my turntable, okay? So I actually had those old devices. Uh, but to see it evolve now to where it is, to where it'll be on demand and so, and voice command, wow. Did you ever think you would live to see that? Uh, and, I'm, and who knows, you know, in another 50 years, maybe even another 10 years, there will be technology that none of us envision and it will make books even more accessible to everyone. So I, so I want to thank the, the volunteers. I want to thank the readers. Um, you make me want to just, you know, any book that you've recorded, I just want to go, go check it out and listen. I could listen to you all day. Um, but this is such a wonderful program. What a blessing that those who are visually impaired are able to have that same experience as the rest of us. And, and uh, I love that this this organization is here. This is, is probably uh, one of Kentucky's hidden gems, but I hope it's disseminated to everyone who needs to hear about it. And I'm just overjoyed for you because I know the joy of reading uh, and that you can have that too just thrills me. So, uh, so, I'm, so congratulations on 50 years. Uh, I know there's going to be at least another 50 years, uh, and who knows what that looks like, but I'm sure it's going to be equally as incredible. Congratulations to everyone here. God bless you all, and happy reading. Thank you. <laughs> okay, our next guest is Secretary Derek Ramsey. Now, some of you may remember him from his years as a quarterback on the University of Kentucky football team, where he led the Wildcats to a 10-to-1 season. Well, go ahead and clap, Wildcat fans. <laughs> 
He had a successful nine-year NFL career, which includes his team winning the 1981 Super Bowl. What team was that? Oakland Raiders. Oakland Raiders, okay. Afterwards, Mr. Ramsey was a small business owner. He served as Deputy Secretary of Commerce during the Ernie Fletcher administration and was the Director of Athletics at Coppin State University in Baltimore. More recently, Governor Matt Bevan asked Ramsey to serve the Commonwealth as Secretary of the Kentucky Labor Cabinet based on his proven record of accomplishment and leadership. In 2018, Governor Bevan appointed Ramsey as Secretary of the Education and Workforce Development Cabinet, which is our cabinet, and it is responsible for educating, preparing, and training Kentucky's current and future workforce. So please welcome Secretary Derek Ramsey. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Let's try one more time. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, as Barbara stated, I'm an old football player, and I think you all may have heard about all that's going on with CTE and football players having concussion issues. So if I mumble or echo, that's why. Uh, libraries. I have to start by telling a, a story about myself. Uh, 1972, I moved from Hastings, Florida, to Camden, New Jersey. And I was walking down the hallway. I moved with my uncle, who was the football coach at the time at Camden High School, in my hometown in Florida, population's 750 people. And so I then moved to a high school that had 4,500 students. And so I'm walking down the hallway, and this wonderful lady approached me. She says, are you the new kid, Ramsey? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, uh, my name is Hazel Nemo. I am the librarian here at Camden High School. And during your study hall hour, uh, of which we used to all go into the auditorium, and it was more of a talking hour is what it was. And so Ms. Nemo said, I want you to come and see me. And I said, okay. I'm like, I don't know this lady from Adam. <laughs> and so the conversation went like this. She said, instead of going in the auditorium and just sitting there talking, you're going to come to the library and you're going to learn how to index, you're going to learn how to find your way around the library. You know, when you go in and pick up a book, there's a method to that madness. They're not just stuck on the, on the shelves. And she said, oh, by the way, all of your English papers and all of your history papers or any assignment that you had to turn in written, I am going to read it first. And I'm like, who is this lady? <laughs> but the interesting part is some years later, 45 to be exact, I graduated in 1974. Uh, and I'll be going to see Miss Nemo in about two weeks. That wonderful lady is 91 years of age. And I will never forget her and what she did for me. Because again, she had no reason to pull me aside. 
But what she did tell me was this. She said, you're a southerner, I'm a southerner, we do things differently. And so I just appreciated from that point on what occurs in libraries. Because before I just went to a library, got the book I needed, and got out of there. But as you become an academician, and you know, while they talked about my career as an athletic director, I also worked at UK for four years, and I was the athletic director around down the street here at Kentucky State for four years. So this whole academician thing is something I'm very, very comfortable with. But here, you know, and Terry reports to me, and Terry is a gentleman that spoke earlier that runs the library here. Uh, I want to thank you for all you all do. This talking book thing, I had an opportunity to go by and see the studio there and listen to them. It is fascinating. And ma'am, I want to thank you for what you've done. You know, your recording of the books. Thank you so much. Because again, as the Lieutenant Governor stated, now people that have their different uh, disabilities, they now get to read by Braille and they also get to listen. So it's invaluable. So I just want to thank all of you all for your commitment and in particular to the people of the Commonwealth of Kentucky. This is a place that I love dearly. This is a place that has supported me. And part of the reason that the Lieutenant Governor and I are here is because we want to give back. Want to give back to Kentuckians. And this has been a joy for me for a second time around as Secretary this time. To come and to be able to give back to people that have given so much to me. And you say, what is he talking about? Well, let's back up. That 10 and 1 season that Barbara spoke of, that was in 1977. You back that up to 1975, which is when I became the starting quarterback here at the university. Now, during that time, that was not a time where an African-American quarterback was the in vogue or the popular thing to be. It wasn't. That's where we were in our history at the time. For some reason or another, the people of Kentucky, they put all of that aside and said, I'm going to support this skinny little guy that they say they can't throw the ball around. For some reason or other, the people of Kentucky put that aside. And they supported me when I needed them most. Because not only was I playing here in the Commonwealth, but when you go further south, as in, in Louisiana, as in, in Mississippi, in Georgia, and Florida, my home state, the reception wasn't the best. But when I came back here, I knew I was home. I knew that. And so for during that time, when I needed Kentuckians most, they were there. And I fast forward this 40 some years later, I want you to know that Lieutenant Governor and I are here. We're here to give back to a state that has given so much to so many. And this is just a further example, 50 years later, of how and what we're doing to ensure that Kentuckians get the opportunity that everyone else around the country and the world gets. And so again, some small examples of what occurs here. For example, we have 13,000 Braille physical books in our library. 90,000 audio books. 
75 audio and braille magazines. In our over 206 libraries around the state, and what I really love about this, there's over 2.6 million people that are registered libraries. That's over 61% of the state of Kentucky. That's awesome. In Kentucky, libraries train over 50,900 people to use computers just last year. Public libraries in Kentucky have over 4,900 computers designated for public use. So again, we're doing things. We're doing things trying to encourage the people of the Commonwealth to read. And as Lieutenant Governor said, one of the ways that my teachers taught me into reading at an early age was I, as a young person, from the time I was nine years of age, I wanted to be an NFL football player, which I was able to realize a dream. But the thing that I most love, and still today, is math. I mean, I love numbers, just always have. But I remember my fourth grade teacher, she pulled me aside because, you know, you're doing the assignments and I just, you know, did it. You know, because if I didn't, my parents weren't going to be happy. And when your parents aren't happy, normally you aren't happy. <laughs> but I had this teacher. She said, one of these days, one of these days, in this book, they're going to have something about Derek Ramsey. And she said, wouldn't it be beautiful if you could read about that and share that with someone? And so as a fourth grader, I fell in love with reading. You know, hoping that one day that I would do something that I would be on someone's page. And here we are. 62 years later, I've been able to accomplish that. And so as I talk to young people, I try desperately to encourage them because so frequently now with this thing called a hand device or some people call a telephone or iPhone or whatever you call it, uh, they're so engrossed into reading that. But the only problem is it's just little small smidgens. And so we have to encourage our young people to read have to have our parents, not grandparents, read to them. One of the responsibilities I have also in my cabinet is adult education. We here in Kentucky today, the average adult education level is 10th grade. And so I'm saddened by that because what happens with our young people is that now we don't have parents that can read to them. And so this whole reading thing is something that we should take serious. We should also understand that when we're able to do that, young people benefit. Because if not, what will end up happening is that circle will continue to go. So I want to encourage you to continue to do all you do. I want to continue to support talking books and continue to support this library. Thank you very much. anything to record here if we didn't have authors writing books. So our next guest is Virginia Smith, a Kentucky author of more than 36 books. Most of them are Christian fiction and focus on relationships, suspense, or historical fiction. So please welcome Virginia Smith.
Thank you. A number of years ago, my father had a, um, he suffered a brain hemorrhage from an aneurysm and it left him completely paralyzed. He was 47 years old. Um, because he required full-time care, when he was released from the hospital, he had to go to a nursing home, and that's where he lived for the rest of his life. He was unable to enjoy any of the activities that he had previously enjoyed, but he kept his mind alert by listening to books and he became a patron of the Talking Book Library. Now, Daddy really had not been much of a reader before his brain hemorrhage, but he loved getting those tapes in the mail. And yes, cassette tapes. He had one of those yellow machines, and um, you know he, would, he was paralyzed, remember, but so he had to have other people put the cassettes in and out for him, but it had, the volume was a slider one of those slider things. And Daddy had very limited movement of one hand, enough that he could slap his hand on that slider and push it up to push the volume up or pull it back down. And oh my gosh, he would just love it. I would come to visit him and he would say, we got a new set of, uh, open my mail, open my mail. And we'd get a new set and I'd tell him what the cassettes were and we'd go through the catalogs and he would say, because he couldn't speak very clearly, but he would say, mm, or mm, mm, yes, and point out which ones he wanted. <coughs> Well, one day I went to the nursing home and Daddy was really upset because his machine was not working properly. And so I took the machine and I came here and I brought it in. And I walked in the room upstairs and there sits Barbara Pentagore. And I looked at her and I said, you're Barbara Pentagore. And she said, you're Jenny Patrick. We went to grade school together. We were in brownies together and Girl Scouts together and we hadn't seen each other in a number of years. So as we got reacquainted, and you know, I told her my father was a patron, and, and uh, you know, we talked about what had, what had occurred in our lives, and she discovered that I had recently, I guess a few years before, quit my corporate career to become a full-time writer. And I think at that point I had um, two or three books out, I can't remember. And she said, oh, that's really interesting. I'm a librarian, you know? So um, I gave her a couple of my books and she looked them up and she discovered that they were, you know, reviewed pretty well. And so she said, we'd really like to record your books. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. How does that work? And she described the process and they would have someone read the books and I said, well, you know, I'm a pretty good reader, and I do know those books. <laughs> and so, long story short, she invited me to narrate my debut novel. So I got to be a reader in the Talking Book Library. It was, I'm telling you, it was so cool. I learned so much. I had no idea what I was getting into. But I was so impressed, and I still remain so impressed with the attention to detail with the professionalism that goes into producing these talking books. I mean, I was the writer of the book, and if I mispronounced something or substituted a word, they would stop me right there and say, no, you missed that one. And I would say, I wrote the book. I think it's okay if, no, no, we want it to be exactly. So, I mean, it, I was really super impressed. They do such a tremendous and such a professional job here. 
So the book came out. And of course, my daddy ordered the first copy. And uh, a couple days later, I was going to Lexington to visit him, and I called the nursing home and talked to the nurse on, on staff and to find out if Daddy wanted me to bring anything when I came. And she said, are you the daughter that wrote the book? And I thought, oh, he's proud of me. I said, yes, did he tell you about that? And she said, oh, we all know about you and your book. And I'm like, oh, how nice. So, I got there about an hour later and I discovered um, the minute I opened the door why they all knew about me and my book. Because my voice was echoing down the hallway from daddy's room. And she said they kept going in there and turning the volume down. He would slap his hand on that slider and shove it back up. So everybody knew about me and my books. You know, I am so grateful to Barbara and to all the staff at the Talking Book Library because they gave Daddy not only hours of entertainment but mental stimulation. Um, and I know they do that for so many patrons. I was able to record the first two of my novels and then I got super busy writing, you know, 34 more. And uh, so I know that, that other narrators have taken over and I know at least one of them's here and done many of my books. And um, I do tend to write a lot about my home state of Kentucky. And uh, I'm told that the library patrons really do enjoy listening to my books. So it gives me a great deal of satisfaction that my work is being shared with people who might not otherwise get to enjoy what I like to do and what I love to do and my work. So thank you for all that you do. And uh, thank you for inviting me to be a part of this 50th anniversary. This is exciting. <laughs> here, um, Kathy Jackson, who is the president of the National Federation of the Blind, and Kathy's coming up now. <laughs> I would like to present this clock to you on behalf of the members of the National Federation of the Blind. I'm so glad to be here to help celebrate this 50th anniversary, and I'm hoping in 2069 there will be an audience celebrating the 100th anniversary if you'd like to read the inscription and it says success is not something that happens in the future success is made up of little steps taken right now members of the national federation of the blind of kentucky april 1st 2019 thank you kathy this is Adam Rushville, who's with the Kentucky Council for the Blind, but he was also one of my predecessors and a former manager of the Kentucky Talking Book Library. Okay, thank you, Barbara. Uh, we have some presentation pins that uh, are handcrafted by one of our visitors today, Alan Triptyankel. Alan is a person who began losing his vision about a couple of years ago. Uh, he is a visitor from Indiana, but he wanted to come to our state library and, and see about the talking book program. He has made these pens, and Barbara, if you could pass them out, we'd really appreciate it. I want to thank the Kentucky Council for the Blind because they actually sponsored our food here today, so give them a big hand for that. I also want to mention that our volunteer narrators, we do have 
Some of you who haven't received one before, we have a certificate from NLS recognizing you as a volunteer. So Brian will have those. And the Kentucky Council for the Blind has also provided to all the volunteers a gift card from Amazon, a $20 gift card from Amazon saying thank you from KTBL. So thank you all for the volunteers and thank Kentucky Council for the Blind. So we got one last thing. I have a proclamation from Governor Beth. I'm just going to read it here. To all to whom these presents shall come, whereas the Commonwealth of Kentucky Public Libraries have established free service to all citizens, and whereas the Kentucky Department for Libraries and Archives serves Kentucky's need to know by assuring equitable access to a wide variety of library and information resources and services, and whereas the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped has established a free program to provide library services, and whereas direct service to eligible individuals in Kentucky is the responsibility of the Kentucky Talking Book Library established 50 years ago on April 1st, 1969, and whereas approximately 4,500 Kentucky citizens each year enjoy the freedom to read by receiving braille and audio materials by mail or download from the Kentucky Talking Book Program, and whereas the Kentucky Department for Libraries and Archives strives to reach those 3.7% of Kentuckians who report a visual disability but may be unaware of these services, now, therefore, I, Matthew G. Bevan, Governor of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, do hereby declare April 1st through the 6th, 2019, as Talking Book Library Week. Congratulations. Page 3, Sound Prince Calendar, on May 2, the American Council of Blind Lions will have its conference call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to become involved in local Lions clubs. Open to current Lions, former Lions, and anyone who would like to become a Lion. At 9 p.m. Eastern Time, call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. On May 4, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a derby party from 10.30 a.m. until 7.30 p.m. Doors open at 10 a.m. Plan to come early, stay late, and enjoy friends, games, and food all day. The cost is $6 per person. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. Also on May 4, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired will have a bowling outing. From 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. Central Time, this is at Diamond Lanes Midtown at 1901 Triplet Street in Owensboro. Register by calling 270-684-4418 by noon on May 3. Savvy will pay for rental of up to two lanes. If additional lanes are needed, the $38 cost per lane will be divided equally among participants. Everyone is responsible for shoe rental, $2.25, snacks, etc. 
On May 5, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its committee meetings. The advocacy meeting will be at 7 p.m. And the Education, Activities, and Technology Committee, the EAT Committee, will meet at 8 p.m. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444 to participate. On May 6, a Savvy Program Committee will meet at 7 p.m. Central Time at 669-900-6833. Enter code 3572-595-193. On May 7, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its statewide conference call meeting. At 8 p.m., we will use the conference number 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. Individuals statewide experiencing low vision are encouraged to ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. On May 8, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its conference call meeting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Call 605-475-4700 and enter code 155619. For more information about NKCB, call Jerry Slusher at 859-781-7369. On May 8, KCB PR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. at 669-900-6833, enter code 3572-595-193. On May 9, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its first support group meeting in person in Louisville for May from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On May 10, will be a GLCB roundabout. From 3.30 until 5, we will have individual education and technology activities such as Braille, iPhone tips, genealogy, and more. There will be a special speaker from 5 until 6. That will be Bobby Holsclaw, Jefferson County Clerk, will visit us to talk about accessible voting. There will be dinner from 6 to 7, $6 per person, bargain table 7 to 7.30, bingo $2 per person from 7.30 until 9.30. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On May 11, GLCB will hold its May board meeting at 11 a.m. Eastern Time by conference call. The number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. On Sunday, May 12, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Next Generation Chapter will meet by conference call at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This is the regular monthly chapter meeting for visually impaired people 40 and under in Kentucky. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572 Five nine five one nine three. On May 12, ACB Families will have its regular monthly meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country by calling 712-432-3900 and entering code 796096. On May 14, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will have its monthly chapter meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. Mark your calendars and plan to join us for this fun social activity. 
Details will be coming soon at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Boggess at 270-684-4418 or share a lot at 270-686-8689. On May 14, the Savvy Board will hold a conference call meeting at 7 p.m. Central Time at 669 669- Nine zero zero six eight three three. The code is three five seven two five nine five one nine three. On May seventeen, GLCB will have a roundabout with the usual schedule: education and technology three thirty to five, discussion time five to six, dinner six to seven, six dollars per person, and games and crafts from seven until nine thirty. Please note the end time for roundabouts is nine thirty instead of ten o'clock. United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Please call to sign up at 502-895-4598. On May 18, there will be a Cave Hill Cemetery walking tour from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Several individuals connected with the early history of the Kentucky School for the Blind and the American Printing House for the Blind are buried at Cave Hill Cemetery. We will visit their grave sites and tell their stories. Limited transportation from APH to the Cave Hill Cemetery is included. The event is free, but registration is required. Call 502-899-2213 to sign up. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.